You're listening to the Effective Statistician Podcast, the weekly podcast with Alexander Schacht, myself, and Benjamin Pieske, designed to help you reach your potential, lead great science, and serve patients without becoming overwhelmed by work. Today I'm talking about a design that I have never talked about before. Crossover. The benefits and the problems around it. And I'm talking about this not by myself, but I'm talking with Markus Safli. He is a great statistician, very passionate, easy to work with, and runs his own company out of Switzerland. So stay tuned for this really, really nice discussion about this very insightful and interesting design. This week, as this podcast episode becomes live, we will have another webinar. This webinar will be about resolving conflicts. And we'll talk a lot about conflict and negotiation and all these kind of different things. I know this conflict is an almost always for sure to come up topic in all the different leadership programs. And having conflict with physicians, with programmers, with CROs, with upper management, all these kind of different things, it happens again and again and again. And it can be so frustrating. I can tell you that I have also suffered a lot from bad conflict. And I'm not talking just about the conflict where people kind of, you know, hate each other and, you know, write nasty emails, all these kind of different things. But also about the passive-aggressive conflict where you're not included in, in certain informations and things like this. This can be as distracting, as demotivating and really even leading to burnout. So register for this upcoming webinar on November 1st. It will happen in the European afternoon, so in the US morning and this week is a little bit off with all the time zone changes. So have a look into the Effective Decision homepage, check for this webinar and register now. You can also find the link to it in the show notes. So now stay tuned for this really, really good podcast episode. By the way, there's one other thing I need to say, talk about. Currently, there's a call to, for the abstracts for the PSI conference in Amsterdam in 2024. This conference is one of the absolute must-go-to conferences if you're in Europe. And so come there, submit your abstract. Although it's quite a fierce competition there, do it. That will increase your likelihood for getting approval by your supervisors. And come there. I'll be in Amsterdam for sure. So go to the PSI homepage at psiweb.org. So you can learn more about all the other PSI activities, but for sure to check out the timeline, which is end of the month, end of November, so that you submit an abstract. And of course, this podcast is run in association with PSI. Well, 
Welcome to another episode of the Effective Statistician. And today I'm super excited to talk about a topic that I haven't touched on in over 300 episodes. And I can't believe it. It is such a classical design. Although I need to confess, I've personally never worked on this because, well, we'll, we'll get into the reasons later on. So, and for this, I have Marcos here. Hi, Marcos, how are you doing? Hi, Alexander. Great, I'm doing fine. Thank you for the invitation. Nice to have you. So, let's start. Introduce yourself. What are you doing? What's your company doing? Marcos Savli is my name. I'm biased as a statistician. By training, I have a background in biomedical engineering and mathematics, as well as epidemiology. I work at M and uh, the founder of Biostatistic and Consulting. We are a consulting office in Zurich, in Switzerland. And as the, the name already indicates, we offer biomedic services for pharmaceutical and biotech medtech companies. But furthermore, for universities, for example, we can do scientific writing, like meta-analysis or similar services programming, dashboards, and so on, right? With your background that is so broad, much broader than you know most statisticians come with who have spent their whole career only in clinical trials. So biomedical engineering, programming, oh, really kind of a broad data science background. That's pretty cool. Yeah, thank you. So today we will talk about crossover studies. And you recently published one, and we'll go into this a little bit later. But let's, in, in simple terms, what's a crossover study? A crossover study, in simple terms, is a longitudinal study where subjects receive multiple treatments in a sequence. This can be an observational study, where it's less controlled, or, and this is what we are more interested in the in the medical or in the scientific uh, area, uh, to have a controlled experiment. So then it's randomized usually, and it's balanced. That means the same number of subjects re receive the same number of treatments and the same number of periods. In the most simple case, if we have two treatments, treatment mm -hmm. A and treatment B, half of the patients first get treatment A and then treatment B, And the other half gets first treatment B and then treatment A. So we have two treatments and two periods. Right. This is, uh, you explained already the randomized part of it, right? So you don't start with the entire uh, number of patients with treatment A and then go over to cross over to treatment B. You randomize them. That's correct. So that first kind of appears like, yeah, looks like an unusual design. Why not just kind of compare, you know, A and B have the first period, that's it. Why do the second period? This comes with certain uh, properties. First, you can consider when you take a subject and have him get him one treatment and then the other or the placebo treatment, the same subject serve as its own control. And the advantage of this is that you can influence the, co the confounding, right? In a better way than mm -hmm. you can do in a randomized or two different uh, groups, right? 
than in a parallel design, for example, where it's a bit less uncontrolled. And given these circumstances, it gets along with a higher statistical power. And higher power means that you can get along with fewer subjects. And this is a matter of cost in the end, right? Yeah, so especially if you have high variability um, between the different sub subjects, yeah, that is clear that, you know, the within subject control gives you much more additional comparisons because you don't just compare treatment A and treatment B between the different subjects in period A and period B, actually, but also you compare period A to P the first period to the second period and also have these comparisons. So, yeah, cool. Very good. So you have instead of, well, just one comparison, A versus B at the beginning, you have basically four comparisons. Yeah, A versus B in the first period, A versus B in the second period, and A versus B in both Groups, so to say, those do you call them sequences or groups? How would you, how would you call that? Patient. Yeah, sequence. Yeah, sequence is good, right? Period. In the ideal world, there is, should be no difference actually. When you start with A and go cross over to B, or you start with B and cross over to A, this is actually what you want. We want to find out in this study whether this is really the case. Yeah, I think that is one of the assumptions that you need to make. Isn't it? Mm -hmm. So it does matter whether you first go to B and then to A versus A and then to B. So the the treatment difference between A and B depends on the period. What? Why is that a problem? Yeah, you don't want to actually. You don't want to experience this in your study. Then you really are a bit in a mess. If, for the point is, for some study designs, there's actually no other option than do a crossover design. For example, bioequivalent studies, right? Where mm -hmm. the guidelines uh, actually tells you that you have to do this. And then you need to control for these effects. Uh, we talk about a like an order effect, what you mentioned before. This is when the sequence may affect uh, the outcome. An example could be that, let's say, the first treatment has a produces more side effects or adverse effects, right, in the patient. And then in the second la later treatment where there is less side effects, but the patient is more susceptible or more kind of uh, framed for the side effects and is uh, perhaps reporting more adverse effects than they actually are, right? So this is what we don't want to have. And that's why we do um, randomization where we can check, is it from A to B or from B to A, right? Is there a, a difference, right? And if this, it should be balanced, actually, there should be no difference between these sequences. This is and, a yeah. carryover effect. Now, this is the order effect. Uh, uh, the okay. carryover effect is another effect. It is where the treatment itself has lasts long into the next phase. So mm -hmm. it confounds the effect of the next phase. In a good crossover design, there is sufficient time between the treatment effects or treatment periods, and we call it a washout phase, so that there is no interference. And they say, well, in the guidelines, say more or less five half-lives, right? It should be sufficient, right? And you need to check this in your data, right? It's the case, right? So 
that already has a couple of different implications. So first, it only works for treatments that have reasonably short half-lives. Yeah, so, so if you have a half-life of several months or something like this, it becomes a very, very long study. The second is, of course, that you have some kind of chronic stable disease. Yeah, If you cure the patients... <laughs> with your treatment that's probably not the right the right way because then you will always have a carryover effect so right. it needs to be some kind of symptomatic treatment and yeah so you need to have this kind of you need to more or less get back to the first baseline yeah so basically you have two baselines isn't it in, in the settings and you have a you have a baseline for each period that's right the, you, you mentioned a couple of points, right? That this crossover doesn't, is not suitable for all situations. And the one, when you cure the patient in the, in the first uh, treatment phase, the baseline for the second phase is different, of course, then, and there is no more improvement for the patient in the second phase. So the second phase in, will be worse in the end in the calculation. But then the study design is not appropriate for that. But the biostatisticians should know about it and about the, the effect. So in the curative situation is perhaps not the, the ideal study design, but for the chronic ones where you apply certain treatments and then the patient benefits during this treatment phase in a certain way. But then when you stop this treatment and the baseline returns to its original level, then mm -hmm. you have a good situation where you can independently check both treatments. It could be the active verum and the placebo situation, right? Or in the case of bioequivalence, where you apply kind of a single tablet or a single application of a drug, right, where you check the pharmacokinetics. So after a certain half-life, the pharmacokinetics returns to its baseline. This is the case. And I mean, bioequivalence has its has its value because, for example, a company decides to, to change its formulation from a suspension to a tablet or vice versa, right? The, the, the properties are similar according to their um, production, but still the government and the authorities require that you need to check this. Mm -hmm. And then with a single formulation, right, uh, you do the pharmacokinetics, blood AUC and, and so on, and then you uh, compare this. So in that situation, the baseline is, is established and uh, you can uh, go ahead with it. Okay, awesome. Let's go into... The problem is uh, very simple, two treatments. What happens if we have multiple treatments? So let's say three treatments. Let's make one step further. Do we then always have also three sequences? So you have basically treatment A, B, and C. So you have A, B, C, A, C, B, and all these kind of different combinations. Yeah, the simple uh, design is the two-period sequence crossover, right? This is the most simple when you have, a, let's say, the active and the placebo or two different ones. But when you go for three ones, it could be a different dosages or like this. Then it's not three. You get six treatment sequences because of this. You want to mm -hmm. randomize all the sequences and want to check and avoid actually any, or you don't want to miss any effect, right, for mm -hmm. a certain sequence. 
So you need to randomize of these six treatment sequences, right? And for the to assign the patients, you do a block design. And what we do is that we have a complete design. That means every patient finishes all these re- re- sequences, right? And we have a couple of patients in every of each of these se- sequences, right? So it gets the study gets longer, and of course you have yeah. You need a certain number of patients for each of these six sequences. Okay. I guess that's probably the the maximum that you would use. Uh, Going to four or five, it gets (laughs) more and more complex. Or have have you seen crossover studies with even more treatments? I myself was not involved in such studies, but the the three periods is not so uncommon, I would say. Mm -hmm. Four or five, I mean, theoretically uh, should work, but I cannot remember when I saw one. <laughs> Actually, I haven't paid attention to these uh, higher sequences, but as you said, it's for sure more complicated and you need to pay attention to the details then, right? Yeah, but yeah. I think theoretically uh, it should work. The so studies get longer and longer and bigger and bigger. And of course, yeah. you increase the chance of something going wrong like dropouts so that is what was one of my first you know questions when i saw this design okay what happens to how do you analyze patients that drop out between the two sequences two periods for example yeah this is always the case when you have a longitudinal study design that you which often happens and is unfortunate for the study design and for the analysis in a the guidelines, when, when we go for the, let's say, for the bioequivalence guidelines of the FDA, of the EMA, they require a minimum of around 12 patients, right? And mm-hmm. so when you have around 12, 18 patients, right, they prohibit actually any extra patients, right? When you miss one and you just load another one into the study. No, this is not allowed. So, but on the other hand, they say or they offer the option that you can account for dropouts. When at the beginning of the study, before you start, right, it is likely or you assume, oh, there will be a kind of a dropouts because of this peculiar treatment, what you apply to them. You can account for these dropouts and you know, add this 10, 15, 20%, whatever patients at the beginning, right? So that when they drop out, during the study that you have still a sufficient high number of patients because when you when one period is missing then you don't have this comparison right this is missing actually yeah and uh, this is what we do we just add account for the dropouts you would if the patient drops out you wouldn't consider them in the analysis because he doesn't have all the information Right, that's a problem, and that's why we have this ITT and uh, per protocol uh, options, right, for insensitivity analysis options, right. But when you do a kind of a mean comparison, right, between the two treatments, then it is in a difficult, right, because y- you don't have one, and it's yeah. not a, it's not like in a parallel design. Okay, you can make the mean in the one group with one or two or x patients more than in the other one. But in the parallel design, where you want to make use of different statistical methods, right? The higher power, then this one is missing, right? Okay. So it's a 
it's a much bigger problem compared to the simple parallel group design. Okay, very good. Let's go back to the studies that I mentioned at the beginning that you recently published and tell us a little bit about this crossover study because that actually had three different treatments. Correct. That was not a bioequivalent study. It was a non-inferiority study in the field of allergy. It was a, um, a medical device product, kind of an over-the-counter uh, drug, mm -hmm. so less stringent than other pharmaceuticals. And the sponsor wanted to compare his product to an already marketed competitor. And in the allergy area of field, it is they are very the patients are very sensitive, right, to the environment and also to the treatment. So the treatment effect is small and highly variable, right? Mm -hmm. And that makes it really difficult to assess these treatment effects. And the well, we don't say drug. The over-the-counter is a kind of a nose spray, right? Mm -hmm. It's applied into the nose to relieve certain allergic effects, right? Or the, the idea was to check what is the potential for the, for the allergic relief, to get this relief. And they compare, wanted to compare it to this, this other drug and also to kind of a non-treatment. So mm -hmm. the idea is, okay, if this is so highly variable, is this pure chance or is this what, how does the patient fare off when he's doing nothing? And how do they do this allergic study or check this uh, treatment effect? This, they, they usually do it in winter time. Why? Uh, because then there is this pollen, there's no pollen uh, season. Okay. So the, it's, uh, it's during the day, the, the temperature is cold and there's no other grasses or pollen around or less. And then they have a, the patient in a controlled environmental chamber that is, you can say, kind of a, small room in the laboratory and the patient sits there and this room is air conditioned it is temperature controlled it is humidity controlled and whatever uh, other mm -hmm. parameter environmental parameter controlled and via the air condition they expose the patients uh, with a certain set of pollen and other uh, allergens okay and the patient sits there and then it's a it's The exposure lasts from three to six hours, depending on the study. And the patient sits there, and then he he's there and creates the allergy. Yeah. Gets the allergy, and then every 15 minutes he has to report his symptoms, like sneezing, itchy nose, watery eyes, uh, respiratory, whatever. There's a, a list yeah. of, of symptoms what he has to report. And, and then it's done. And then after a washout period, he returns for the next one and, and so on, right? Okay. Wow. So highly controlled environment in which you can also control the exposure. Okay. That's really, really interesting. So the exposure in terms of the allergens, not the exposure in terms of the treatment. Right. Well, it's yeah. even it goes even that far. The 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 way the tissues, right? When you have a running nose and they blow mm -hmm. the no nose, they they collect the tissues and weigh the amount of what came out of the nose, right? <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's really an interesting lab setting. Yeah, and a really great setting for these types of studies because you have these repeatable conditions 
people in winter get out of the chamber again. They don't have any exposure to allergens anymore, get back to normal. You, have, you can have a washout period. And these are really, really good conditions for these crossover studies. And uh, yeah, it's it's really good that you have these yeah, golden standards, so to say, approach here with active control and active control and also a placebo control so you can see have all these things that you very often need for a non-inferiority study because very often your non-inferiority margin depends on the difference between active active and non um, active and placebo very good Awesome. We'll put the link to the study also into the show notes so you can have a look there. Where can people find you, Markus? That's very easy. I'm, of course, in LinkedIn. That's one option. You can connect to me on LinkedIn and drop me a message or to take a look at my website and see what else we are doing with the team. And by email, that's the traditional old but still working way. Yeah. We'll put links to these kind of different things into the show notes so you can very, very easily connect to Markus. A couple of interesting things. Markus sits in Switzerland and sometimes there's a lot of concern in terms of Swiss people about Swiss data not leaving the, the country. So if you have, if you need to work with, you know, Swiss biotech company or Swiss hospital or these kind of areas, uh, this is very often a concern. And then having a Swiss consultant there that can do all these kind of different things without the data leaving the country, then for sure reach out to Markus. And then of course, well, although he is from Switzerland, he actually speaks German. <laughs> also for all kind of German training, German HTA submissions, all these kind of different things. If you belong to the part of the world where your mother tongue is not German, which, yeah, is the biggest part of the world, <laughs> and you need to have someone that is a good German-speaking statistician, I also highly recommend you reach out to Marcus. Thanks so much, Markus. Is there any final things that you would like to give to the listener? I can add Spanish to the options, language options. Okay. Okay. Very good. So we talked about crossover studies, the benefits, the problems compared to traditional designs. Have a look into this and increase your knowledge around these things. And for sure, connect to Markus. It's always great to improve your network, to strengthen your network. I always recommend this to people because your network is your net worth very often. You know, the more people you're connected to, the more and easier you will find maybe new colleagues, new partners, new employers in the future. So connect with Markus. If you haven't connected with me already, of course, connect with me as well. Thanks so much, Marcus, for being on the show. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Alexander, for inviting. Don't forget to register for the upcoming 
Negotiation and Conflict Resolution webinars that happens on November 1st. 2024. If you have listening later to this, you can still find it on the library. Go to theeffectivestatistician.com and check out the library where we have all the recordings. But I really urge you to register for it now so that you can get to it and really ask your questions and have all the discussions. That would be awesome. This show was created in association with PSI. Thanks to Rain and her team at VVS for helping the show in the background. And thank you for listening. Reach your potential, lead trade science, and serve patients. Just be an effective statistician.